Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Hi, it's Melissa Moore. Thank you so much for joining me for Mile High Magazine on this Sunday morning. I think especially lately, sex trafficking, it's been in the news. It's some of the top stories in the news right now when we're thinking about what happened um, with the craft, mm-hmm. the owner of the Patriots and the charges now going on down in Florida. And yet we always have that tie here locally in Colorado to sex trafficking. And it is a problem in Colorado. So I'm thrilled to have with me today Kristen Harness, the chief executive officer and founder, correct? Correct, yep. Of Extended Hands of Hope. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get into exactly what Extended Hands of Hope does um, in the sex trafficking world and in the recovery of it, let's talk a little bit, if you can, help me understand because I've heard a lot of people are confused about, like, let's just take the case in Florida right now mm-hmm. and the owner of the Patriots being charged with sex trafficking, and yet they use prostitution and they use them almost simultaneously. So I think people right. are a little confused. Yeah. So when you're talking about sex trafficking, um, there has to be, according to the legal definition, there has to be some type of force, fraud or coercion involved. Okay. Um, Unless the victim is a minor. So under the age of 18, there doesn't have to be any type of force or fraud or anything. Any minor involved in the commercial sex industry is considered a victim of sex trafficking according to the law. So the difference between prostitution, if you say it in between prostitution and sex trafficking in its basic form is, is there force? Is there any fraud? Is there any coercion? Or are they, quote unquote, voluntarily participating? Mm -hmm. So does it make you wonder, does the media get it wrong sometimes in the terminology? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I I think everybody's getting a lot better, more educated about what the differences are, what it Mm -hmm. actually is. Um, I'm, you know, very hopeful that uh, people are going to begin to see it for what it really is. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I do still think that people are getting it wrong. Right, because I hear the words used simultaneously in a lot of newscasts. And I'm like, okay, a prostitution sting and a mm-hmm. sex trafficking sting to me are very different things. Right. Yeah. And I think they originally started saying the word prostitution. Um, and now they're finding out that these victims are actually, you know, not voluntarily um, participating in this and that there's definitely fraud and they're being forced to do it. And so okay. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing sex trafficking language okay. being used more, but... Okay. That's what I was wondering, too. Like, what was the change that happened? Well, let's talk about the problem here in Colorado. Yeah. It is a problem, is it not? Absolutely, yes. What does that look like for our state? Who who are these women? Are they, I I assume there are men as well and children. Oh, yeah. Human trafficking can happen to any age, any gender. Um, Here in Colorado, we have victims of sex trafficking from babies all the way up to you know, whatever age, adults, and anywhere in between. That just makes me sick. It is sick, yeah. Um, So the FBI did a sting operation. It's a national sting operation that they do every year called Operation Cross Country. And the last one they did um, here in Colorado, they actually recovered a three-month-old baby and a five-year-old girl that was being sold by their uncle for sex. And I know of... A father that was selling his six-year-old daughter outside of a home in Jefferson County, um, exchanging her to have sex with men for for money. Six years old. Six years old. So um, we've got victims that are that are very young. Nationwide, 
common age of entry into the commercial sex industry is anywhere from 12 to 14. You'll hear um, here in Colorado, it's the same. So you're looking at an average age of about 14, 15 years old when they're when they're entering into the commercial sex industry. And because of the age, it's automatically sex trafficking. Automatically, yes. Okay. Yes. So let's talk about the recovery process. Mm-hmm. Um, you help victims, or victims are a sting operation happens, and, and men and women and, unfortunately, children are are recovered. Mm-hmm. What happens then? Because that's really where Extended Hands of Hope comes in, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our mission is to offer safe housing and supportive services to survivors of sex trafficking. And the reason that I started this organization a little over five years ago is because there was no safe home specifically for minors recovered out of sex trafficking. And so you're about 100 percent of the girls that we work with have a past history of sexual abuse. Okay, so and nationwide, the statistic is around 90 percent. So most of these victims are coming from a past history of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, they're being trafficked. So all they've known is abuse in their life. So it's just trauma after trauma after trauma. And so they they deal with a lot of um, what's considered complex trauma. And up until our home was open in Denver... There, there was no place for them to go. So when there would be a sting operation or when law enforcement would recover, let's say, a 15-year-old girl out of a hotel or out of a sex trafficking situation, um, they didn't have any place for her to go. And so they were bringing these kids to jail or detention centers. And, of course, that makes them feel like they're the criminal here mm-hmm. when, in fact, they are absolutely the victim. So um, there's just there's a lot of... Like I said, a lot of complex trauma that occurs within sex trafficking. And so the the girls that we work with, they suffer physical consequences, psychological consequences, mental con- consequences, emotional, um, and a lot of times to, to the very extreme levels. Mm-hmm. These girls go into, I guess, a recovery is what you're talking about here. You, right. you recover them. From the sex trafficking world. Yeah, we don't really use the word rescue anymore. Right, um, right. Because that kind of, it's kind of uh, belittling, you know, over rescuing them. Mm -hmm. Um, So we use the word recover now, yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. okay. So the housing is is one of the things that you're doing. Yes. Okay. So it starts with the housing, but obviously there are a lot of needs that need to be met. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like, if I'm hearing you right, I mean, children that are recovered from the sex trafficking industry, I mean, they can't go into a foster home right away. You know, a lot of these kids actually come out of the foster care system. Oh, geez. So I think the recent statistic that I read is that around 80 to 85 percent of sex trafficking victims actually at some point in time um, had an interaction with either foster care system or social services. Okay. Um, but kids are actually being trafficked and abused within the foster care system here in Colorado. So I had a meeting, I'm not going to name names or even positions, with somebody who has a really um, high up position Mm -hmm. in human services. And they said, we have like 200 and some homes here in Colorado that are considered group homes or foster homes. And I know for a fact that trafficking is going on within these homes. So the unfortunate thing is that these kids are actually coming out of the foster care system. I, I, I don't understand I know. I don't understand. It's very upsetting because how is it so broken? I mean, that these kids that are already going through such an awful time in their life and a difficult situation are now abused at at an even deeper level. Yes. Uh, You know, that's why 
besides the demand, right? The reason that sex trafficking exists is because of demand. There's a demand for sex with children. But another reason why it's so prevalent is because our systems that we have set up that are supposed to be protecting children are Mm -hmm. failing. That's the school system. That's the foster care system, the social services system. um, That's the healthcare industry. All of these places that should be protecting kids are not. And so what's happening is it's creating very vulnerable environments and vulnerability is what attracts traffickers, right? They prey on vulnerabilities. And so these kids are extremely vulnerable within the foster care system. And it's it's for a variety of reasons. You know, sometimes you've got foster parents who are only in it for the money, right? So they are not in it. They want to get as many kids in their home as possible. They're in it for the money because they get, you know, when you're a foster parent, you get money every month mm-hmm. for each kid from the state. And so it's a way for them to make money. And so they're not taking care of these kids. They're abusing them within the homes. Um, And then you have other foster families who they're really good hearted and they want to help. They're Mm -hmm. just not equipped. They don't have the resources they need. They haven't been trained properly. And so they just don't know how to take care of these these kids that are vulnerable. I mean, if you've got kids in the in the foster care system, um, you know, they're probably most likely coming from. an environment of abuse or neglect and that's Mm -hmm. what brought them to the foster care system in the first place so they're already coming with that level of trauma and so these these foster parents just don't know how to take care of these kiddos and so they're you know running away from home or they're not going to school and then of course again that that makes them very vulnerable to being trafficked Mm -hmm. the um, national statistic is within Uh, 24 to 48 hours, one out of three minors that run away from home will be approached by a trafficker. And so if you're in a foster home and they're not taking care of you properly or they're abusing you and you're running away from that environment, you're now um, most likely going to be approached by a trafficker. Well, and even some kids that are probably in a good foster home, Mm -hmm. but just who can't deal, take off. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. Again, we're talking about We're talking about teenagers here. Right. Specifically, you know, we're talking about teenage girls. Um, I ran away from home when I was a teenage girl. Sometimes, you know, sometimes victims of trafficking here in Colorado aren't even coming from broken homes. Right, right. They're from that perfect looking family in Highlands Ranch that, you know, mom and dad are married. They've got good jobs. And everything is seemingly going well. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, she's a teenage girl and she wants adventure or she met this guy online who says she's really pretty and wants to meet her. And, um, you know, social media now and the apps, apps and social media and online, those are the number one recruiting grounds for traffickers now. And so it's easy as a trafficker being able to communicate with your daughter in your home. And so it doesn't have to be that element of that broken family. But a lot of times you do, you do see that. Well, I think that's something really important to talk about because Mm -hmm. as a mom myself, that terrifies me. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to do everything you can to protect your child and that online world. Right. And apps. And I I mean, I, I guess what would the word be? Grooming? Grooming. And that's what they're doing? That's absolutely what they're doing, yes. They're absolutely so they're out grooming. there preying on young girls. Mm-hmm. And boys. And boys. Yep. And they're using social media to get to them. They're using Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, I can't recall the exact number, but the last time I heard, there's like over 200 different apps that traffickers are using to connect with children. And I think you'd be surprised mm-hmm. at, if you're a mother... 
of a middle schooler or a teenage child, you'd be surprised at how many apps are on that phone that you may not even be aware of because it looks like a calculator mm-hmm. or, you know, it disguises itself as something else on a phone. And these kids are using these apps and, and traffickers are on these apps as well. Predators are on these apps as well. So as a parent, what do you do? I know you're a parent as well. I am. Yes. Um, well, for me, I highly monitor my kids. They do not have, well, they're on my iPhone right now, but they don't have their right. own iPhone. Yeah. You know, and my son is 12 and he so desperately wants one, but we're, I'm not going to do it right now. Um, he has like the most old school phone ever. You can barely text on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that that's not realistic for, for all kids. And it's just a matter of doing what you can to monitor your kids as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So, and the reality it is, is we can't keep our eyes on our kids at all times. So talk to your kids, right? They shouldn't be like completely in the dark about this Mm -hmm. because then they're not going to know what to look out for. Teach your kids what to look out for. What kind of things? Tell me, give me some ideas here. If there's somebody that is sending you a friend request and you do not know who they are and they don't have any mutual friends, Huge red flag. Mm -hmm. Do not accept that friend request. Okay. Um, Or if, you know, you did accept that friend request and now they're asking you for personal information or they're asking, you know, you tell your daughter, if they're asking you to send pictures of yourself or what grade you're in or anything like that, that is a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. You cannot do that because that that predator or that trafficker now is starting to get into that girl's life, mm-hmm. right? Starting to try to understand her because it's a lot harder to understand people when it's online, right? right. And so they're um, trying to gather information about this child so that they can use that against this child, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's something like, all of a sudden this girl's not talking about how she just got into a fight with her mom and her mom doesn't understand her and this and that, well, now he's all of a sudden going to use that vulnerability against her sure. and say, okay, well, your mom doesn't understand you, but I do. And I want to help you through this, mm-hmm. you know, so let's meet. And when you're, I mean, think about it. We're women in here today. Like right. when I was a young girl, it did not take much at all for a guy to look at me, tell me I'm pretty. And I was like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. I'll follow you wherever you go. Right. Um, it's, I, I tell people, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but the reality is, is it's really not that hard to manipulate vulnerable young teenage girls. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really not. And self-esteem so, is low a lot of times. There's just so yes. many issues. Oh, my gosh. So much. And you so know, and we all remember. they want acceptance. They're, they're looking Absolutely. for love. They're looking Absolutely. for, you know, guys to think they're pretty, all that kind of stuff. So, again, just try to monitor social media okay. as much as you can. Um, definitely, please talk to your kids. Learn the dangers yourself and then talk to your kids and talk to them on a regular basis. Talk to them about what grooming looks like. Mm -hmm. When I told you earlier that um, 90 to 100 percent of these kids who are victims of trafficking come from a past history of sexual abuse. Well, that sexual abuse could start with a family member. It could start with a teacher. It could start with a coach. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times there was grooming involved. Right. So talking to your child about grooming um, is is could prevent sexual abuse from happening, which then could prevent sex trafficking from happening. Right. Obviously, this is a much bigger issue. It's, and it's, it's it just is. got like tentacles in so many different things. Yeah. I tell people, I mean, you told me 15 minutes, there's no way. We right. scratched the surface on 15 minutes. I mean, it is a complicated, complex, 
organized right. crime Absolutely. that is is deeply rooted in our society and we like to pretend that it's not but it is i and i think one of the things you said that just it makes me kind of sick to my stomach is there's the need for it out there there is a demand there that, is a demand that makes yes. me just sick and just i i can't even tell traffickers you. here in the denver area make hundreds of thousands of dollars off of exploiting and trafficking minors here every single year and uh, when you're talking about numbers, you have to understand that this is a very underground, um, hidden type of a transaction. Right. Okay, so it's very difficult to even monitor how much is actually being spent mm-hmm. on buying children and buying people for sex because they're using cash or right. they're using bitcoins or prepaid cards. And so when I tell you that um, recently uh, research... Research was done and it showed that Denver was one of the highest cities in the nation in terms of the amount of money that's being spent on trafficking minors and on buying sex from minors. And it looks like anywhere from 40 to 60 million dollars a year on buying sex from minors. Okay. Yeah. So keep in mind, again, this is on the low end because this is just money that was able to be tracked. Right. It's probably much, much higher. Yes. Unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. And then you look at people, you hear stories about Robert Kraft and you're like, because nobody ever thinks it's the people that it actually is. And the average buyer here in the Denver area is a 35 to 45 year old man who's married with two children, Caucasian and makes anywhere from 70 to a hundred thousand dollars a year. That is an average buyer of sex. And a lot of them will have sex with children that are the same age as their children. And it's on lunch breaks. It's in, are we in DTC? Yeah. DTC is one of the hot hot spots for trafficking. What in the world? Mm -hmm. It is, it is such an ugly underbelly. Correct. That I'm sure most people don't even want to talk about it. They Think don't. about it. Look at it. They'd almost rather pretend that it's not happening. Right. And I understand that. I understand that. But um, until we want to accept the reality that it is, right. we're not going to be helping anybody. And we are, we're going to miss what's happening all around us. And that's not okay. No, it's not okay at all. Tell me this. What made you decide to start Extended Hands of Hope? What was it? Thank you. Good question. Um, You know, I've been through my own stuff as a teenager and as a young adult. I experienced rape. I experienced sexual assault, um, sexual exploitation, and it made me a very, very broken young lady. Mm -hmm. And I was able to come out on the other side um, and I was able to find healing. And so when I started healing from all of that, I started to just really have um, compassion for other young girls that were dealing with any type of sexual offenses right. and specifically um, human trafficking. And I took a trip to Pattaya, Thailand in 2004. And we, Pattaya, Thailand is 62 miles southeast of Bangkok. It is a sex tourism town. Everywhere I looked were Thai women and children and Western men. And that's what you go there for. You spend your two week vacation and you go there and you have sex with women and children. And it just totally changed my whole life. And it was the first time I heard about trafficking. I came back here. I said, what the heck did I just see? What did mm-hmm. I just witness? And I began really learning about human trafficking and really just was drawn to helping mm-hmm. it because I felt like, um, I feel like there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than using somebody else for your sexual pleasure. And especially when you're talking about children and especially when you're talking about it in in really violent, evil ways. Mm-hmm. And I just thought... 
what that is doing to a young girl's life, um, I just can't sit by and like not try to do something for them. Because like I said before, I know that I know that these girls can heal. Right. And so I just spent um, I've spent over the last 14 years trying to learn more about this issue. And then when I started hearing about it, you know, the last seven, eight years that it was a problem here in Colorado, we didn't have a safe house for them in in, uh, Denver. Resources were very low. Um, There was no help for them. I was just, I, I literally was like, all right, I'm opening up a home. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just and said, let's done. try it. Yeah. We so have that's a, what extended hands, I hope it, it's a home. We It's, well, it's more. We have a safe home that's for girls ages 12 to 17. Okay. And at the home, uh, it's, you know, 24-7 home that they live in. And we have on-site therapists. So we do individual therapy, um, group therapy, family therapy, also life skills. We have an on-site school that's licensed by the state of Colorado. A lot of these girls are anywhere from two to six years behind in school. Mm -hmm. And so we have a teacher and a director and a paraprofessional that helps them kind of like uh, recover credit and try to get back up to the grade that they're supposed to be in. Um, But we also have a community-based program. And so the community-based program, our therapist works with survivors that leave our residential program but Mm -hmm. still need a continuum of care and still need help. And then also with survivors that aren't in our residential program. So she offers, again, individual therapy, family therapy, group therapy, as well as case management, helping with whatever resources and anything that they need. Um, and then we are also opening up a social enterprise business. Um, it's a cakery. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's got a double bottom line. One is to help us, you know, pay for our current programs that we have now because it's very expensive, but also offer um, on-the-job therapeutic um, paid training mm-hmm. for adult survivors of trafficking just to help them overcome a lot of the common barriers um, to sustainable employment when right. you are a victim of trafficking. You said a cakery? It's a cakery. Yep. It's called Simply Good Cakery. So I'm in the process of uh, finding investors and people that want to help us get started, but we've been working on that for a long time. So I have a business plan if anyone's interested and well, help us say, with startup funding. That let me know. That leads us perfectly into how folks can help. I mean, obviously, this is an amazing thing that you started and Thank has you. grown here in Denver. Thank I you. mean, kudos to you. Thanks. For having that heart. What can folks do to help? Financially, volunteering, what do you need? Yep. Um, all of the above. Okay. Of course, you know, we're a nonprofit. This is a really expensive uh, nonprofit to run. The house is very expensive because of the needs of the girls. We need a lot of um, one-on-one care and a lot of help. And so we have anywhere from three to five staff members on each shift. Um, so giving financially is a really big deal for us. Um, also, like I said, you know, I'm looking for startup funding to help with the cakery because that's going to help us with long-term sustainability and also just, you know, be able to uh, reach more Mm-hmm. adult survivors um, around here in the Denver area. And also, of course, volunteering. Um, you know, if you're a woman who's 21 or up and no criminal record and you want to work with the girls, we always have volunteer opportunities at our house and our community program. Um, and then we have two events coming up. Okay. And again, a lot of times it can be challenging to try to get men involved in the fight against trafficking. And so we have our first ever men's only ice fishing event coming up on March 16th. I saw that on the website. Yeah. yeah. And so that's pretty exciting. That's at Lake Dillon and then it's men only. So it's a great opportunity. We're going to have whiskey, cigars. Perfect. We're going to have a lot of alcohol, actually. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and food. And then we have our ladies tea coming up in April, April 13th. So okay. if anybody wants to join us at events, that's a great way to get involved too. And what is the website? 
extendedhandsofhope.org. Okay. And for folks who want to make a financial donation? Yes, you can make a donation at our website, or you can also send in a check that's made out to Extended Hands of Hope to P.O. Box 1938, Broomfield 80038. What is your hope as you look in the future for Extended Hands of Hope? My hope is just to continue to grow, to build more homes, to um, increase capacity so that we can help more girls. We have a never-ending wait list in all of our programs. Um, We had... One of our referral partners tell us that they have 300 girls that they would refer to us in our community-based right now, program right now. And how many can you take in? Uh, five to eight. Okay. Okay. So the need is great. And so we just want to be able to continue to grow our community mm-hmm. um, so that we can just make a bigger impact. And, and my hope ultimately is to see these girls truly healed, their hearts healed. And the most amazing thing is when we have a young girl that comes into our program, she's completely broken, she does nothing but cry, she hates herself, she hates everybody, and she leaves our program, and she's smiling, and she's writing down her goals for her future, and she's dreaming about her future, and she talks about having hope, and that to me is like the most amazing thing. And I think that is something really powerful to kind of drive home, is that healing is possible. Absolutely. You know, because I think sometimes people will hear these stories and think, how how does anybody heal from that? How does mm-hmm. anybody recover from that? Right. Yeah. And it's, yet you're saying recovery happens. Oh, it does. Yeah. There are there are thousands and thousands of survivors out there that have survived sex trafficking and are on the other side of that. And they're healed now and they're also working towards helping mm-hmm. other people heal. So it is a hundred percent possible. It's a long journey. I'm sure. And it's a tough journey. And sometimes it might be a lifelong journey, but it's absolutely absolutely available. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on here. I appreciate it. Kristen Harness, Chief Executive Officer, also the founder of Extended Hands of Hope. In- incredible work that you're doing. Let's give the website one more time. ExtendedHandsOfHope.org. All right. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I'm Melissa Moore. This is Sunday, and this is your Mile High Magazine. Thanks for spending it with me.